0: Hey, good morning, family. Miss you guys. And can't wait until we actually get to see each other again in person, um, but not through video. Um, It's kind of sad not to be able to see everybody right now. But in the meantime, as we've continued to do um, different videos um, and whatnot, uh, we're actually getting ready to move into the book of Matthew and do an entire study on that book. And so I will be doing the introduction to that. And when you start a a book of the Bible, it is always helpful to to understand a few things. One of those things it's helpful to know is a little bit about your author. And so if we can find a little bit about Matthew, that would be really helpful. Fortunately for us, the Bible actually gives us just a little tiny bit. Um, It actually doesn't give us much. There are actually only seven times that Matthew is, is actually referenced directly. But we do actually know a few things about Matthew. One of those things is that he's a tax collector. Another thing is that he left everything behind um, to follow Jesus. Uh, so as a tax collector, he would have been um, somebody who would have kept very detailed notes. He would have had to have um, to be somebody who actually kept track of um, all the taxes due and and, and whatnot for the emperor. Um, so we will actually see this get played out um, in the book uh, of Matthew as as he is a very, very detailed Um, writer in his account of jesus's life so as a tax collector he would have been hired by the romans to collect money due to the emperor and as such he would have been hated you know if he's a jew hired by the enemy to take our money and give it back to the enemy yeah i mean that not a super great guy that anybody really wants i mean you you have sinners and then you have those who are paid to sin so like think prostitutes tax collectors They were the low of the low they were they were the they were the ones um who nobody wanted to be with and then jesus called them and he ate with them and he hung out with them and he loved them and jesus even says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick go and learn what this means i desire mercy and not sacrifice for i came not to call the righteous but sinners This never left Matthew. He was a sinner, a professional sinner, and God came and showed him mercy and poured out grace upon grace upon grace. And Matthew wants us to see the beautiful mercy and grace of God through his gospel. So keep your eyes open. Those are the things that you should be looking for. Um, Also, as a text collector, Matthew is keenly aware of money. There's no other gospel that has more reference to gold, silver, or just money in general Um, than the book of Matthew. Even the Lord's prayer has, forgive us our debts, not trespasses, but debts. That's Matthew's rendition of it. But beyond just who Matthew was, another thing that's really helpful when you study a book is to know who he was writing to. If we want to know what it means to us today, we need to know what it meant to them then. So we need to know who was that original audience. So Matthew knew his intended audience was the Jewish people. So unlike Mark, um, who would have explained things, uh, to, because he had a Gentile audience, he would have tried to explain things a little bit more. Uh, Matthew actually assumes that his, his audience is Jewish and knows certain things like hand-washing traditions or what phylacteries are. Um, he doesn't take the time to explain those types of things. And so those are things that um, will just be assumed that that Matthew would be assuming that we know these kinds of things. So, Matthew doesn't just flavor his gospel with particular Jewish words or ideas or things that are just used to kind of spice and, and flavor his gospel to be slightly Jewish. He actually intends that the whole thing, the whole dish per se, is Jewish. It's as Jewish as the Shema. Deuteronomy 6 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up so you shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up see matthew is going to write such a detailed and layered account for his readers to read that he expects us to treat it the same way that, that we will need to meditate on it day and night So the first layer that we should notice um, when we read the book of Matthew is that Matthew is retelling the entire Old Testament. We see that this starts from the very first words in the book of Matthew. Matthew 1.1 starts with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the second word is genosios, which genosios, genesis, like that's, it's the same thing. It's, it's the book of, The beginnings. It's the it's the book of Genesis. So Matthew is is intending that immediately our minds are taken to oh whoa this is a new beginning. This is this is the start of something fresh. This is the start of something new. Just like Genesis began something, so he is doing here. And then Matthew ends with his disciples uh, with Jesus's disciples on the mount, um, and Jesus saying to them saying in Matthew 28: 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, because Matthew's audience would have been keenly aware of what was going on because they had Jewish ears, they would have been familiar with these kinds of things. They would have understood what was going on. This is Second Chronicles, the end of Second Chronicles all over again, which concludes the Hebrew Bible and ends with a quote from King Cyrus. So Second Chronicles 36, 23 says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all his people, may the Lord, his God be with him and let him go up. The similarities between these two declarations should be striking to us. There is a declaration of authority, a charge to go, the building of God's house or kingdom, the promise of God's presence with him. All right, so if Matthew starts with the genesis of Jesus, the beginning, the start of something new, and then closes out with 2nd Chronicles, which is the end of the Jewish Bible, did he overlay the rest of the gospel with the Old Testament? <laughs> Yes, for sure. He did it, and he did it in spades, and it's it's amazing to see what he has done. So so after, after you have the book of the Genesis, the book of the genealogies begin, and then you have the, the genealogies just like you have in the book of Genesis, where does Matthew move to next? Uh, Matthew continues from that beginning, and he has a child of promise given to a woman who should not have been able to be pregnant, a miraculous pregnancy, just like the child of promise to Abraham and Sarah. In the span of just over a chapter, Joseph, Mary's husband, has three dreams. Matthew is paralleling Joseph, the dreamer, in the Old Testament, um, to Mary's husband, Joseph. Then we have Herod, told by the Magi that, that the king had been born. Herod decrees that all babies two years of age or younger should be killed. And that sounds an awful lot like Pharaoh. And just like Pharaoh, Herod fails. Jesus is whisked away to safety, ironically. Down to egypt so mary joseph and jesus go down to egypt to stay until herod dies after his death they return and jesus ends up being baptized in the jordan just like the people of israel came out of egypt and crossed through the red sea a type of baptism of the old of the whole jewish people all right i see what's going on here what what do i what should i expect next some some sort of like 40 years in the wilderness Um, wandering around and then what Moses bringing some sort of a law from from the mountain right so after Jesus was baptized the spirit leads him into the wilderness for you guessed it 40 days just like in Deuteronomy 8 2 um, God actually says that he actually took them out into the wilderness to test them to see what was in their heart to see whether they would obey his commandments or not and Jesus passes with flying colors In chapter five, we see Jesus go up on a mountain and he says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says things like you have heard it said, but I say this is Moses at Mount Sinai is the giving of the law of life. It, it, It is a new law it is it is the way that, that things were always intended to be it is it is aimed at heart change and not just actually outward expressions of obedience he goes on to the next three chapters about the new way of the kingdom and how the people of, of the kingdom work and how they function after the sermon on the mount they come down off the mountain and the crowd follows jesus just like the people in israel followed the cloud and and fire um, around in the wilderness In chapters 8 through 10, the word follows actually gets used 10 times, just like in Numbers 14, where the people had rebelled 10 times against God and not followed him. Jesus does 10 signs or or miracles, and, and Matthew shows 10 times what it means to follow him as the opposite of the 10 times that they rebelled against him in the wilderness. Jesus then sends out 12 disciples, showing that discipleship isn't just about being healed and being made right, but it's actually about doing the same thing that was done to them. So he wants them to go cast out demons to heal the sick and, and the afflicted. So like these signs will follow the believer. Matthew 10, 1 says, And he called to him 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. He sends out these 12 disciples. Just as the 12 spies were sent out into the land. So, if things keep progressing in the same way that they did in the Old Testament, that means we're about to see a holy war take place, right? These 12 disciples are sent into enemy territory. Mark 10 16, sheep in the midst of wolves. They're expected to be rejected and persecuted, but Jesus says, do not fear. This echoes the words of moses and joshua before they go in to conquer the land um in to before they go in to conquer the holy land jesus also says that he didn't come to bring peace but he came to bring a sword and this actually makes sense on the cusp of a holy war not a fight against flesh and blood or against the canaanite people uh, but against the spiritual realm of darkness so then in chapter 11 when jesus says come to me all who who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest it ties back to when Joshua had finished defeating the enemies in the land. Uh, Joshua 11:23 23 says, So Joshua took the whole land, and according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to the tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Jesus has not completed the battle, but he is offering the surety of his rest and peace, because the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. We fight not with our own strength, it's his jesus is then walking through the grain fields and his disciples are picking the heads of grain uh the pharisees stop him and and he tells them um of david and the showbread in the temple and then lets them know that he is greater still so so now david is is what jesus is being compared to so so, so jesus is is david now oh my goodness We're like will this ever end how is matthew doing this how how have i never seen this kind of thing before Alright, so so what? after David, who would I expect to see? David's son, right? Solomon, maybe? In chapter 12, continuing in chapter 12, uh, verse 22, it says, Then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed, and said, Can this be the son of David? Matthew twelve forty two says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is greater than Solomon then? He has more wisdom? Matthew 13 is, is Jesus speaking in parables. Very reminiscent of the wisdom literature of Solomon. And at the end of his parables in Matthew 13, 54, it says, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? All right, Stephen, enough is enough. It's come to an end. How are you going to show the multiplication of the loaves from the Old Testament or Jesus walking in the water? I mean, you've run his course. It can't do it anymore. You know, you've run it all the way through it, and there's no way. I don't see any passages in the Old Testament that could relate to those. Well, just give me a moment, and, and I'll show you here. All right? Don't be hasty and pushy. Remember, just like Jesus was greater than Moses and greater than David and greater than Solomon, this is how we should continue to see Jesus as greater than all those who came before. Let's start with the multiplication of the loaves. Remember in Second Kings? Oh boy, here we go again. Remember in Second Kings four forty two. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God, bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in a sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. And what was the other one you wanted Uh, walking on the water right well elisha made an axe head float but jesus is greater than elisha so he actually makes the sinking peter come back to the surface and not only does he make peter walk on the water again he continues himself to walk on the water so see it's not so tricky remember just like after the rule of solomon we begin to see the split of israel and judah so too we're going to see the split of those who follow jesus and those who are opposed to him so in the next few chapters 14 through 18 you actually see a greater divide of those who follow jesus and those who don't when jesus has his triumphal entry and they are putting down cloaks and branches for him to ride in and they cry hosanna to the son of david it actually replays an old testament passage from 2 kings 9 13 that says then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed jehu is king in chapter 23 jesus takes on the role of jeremiah as he utters seven woes against the jewish leaders just as jeremiah did in his temple sermon jeremiah 7 and jeremiah 26 and just like jeremiah jesus laments over jerusalem and also like jeremiah jesus warns that the city will be left in desolation Matthew 23, 38 says, see, your house is left to you desolate. And then Jeremiah 22, verse five. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Just as Ezekiel has a vision of God's presence leaving the temple in Jerusalem because of Israel's idolatry and covenant breaking had been had become so offensive, and he foretells the destruction of the temple, Jesus, too, leaves the temple and foretells its destruction. And just like God's presence went with them into exile and into death, and in Ezekiel 37, exile is compared to death. You see in verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, those bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We indeed are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord our God, behold, I will open up your graves and raise you from from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you. And you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Jesus goes down into exile, into death for us. and is raised from dead bones to life by the spirit of God. But I'm actually getting a little ahead of myself because there's a few more references that I want to show you guys before the resurrection of Jesus. And one of those um, is Matthew 20, uh, is Matthew 24, verse 30. It is a clear reference back to Daniel 7. It's about as clear as it can be of the Son of Man coming on the clouds as you're going to find. So Matthew 24, verse 30 says, Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There are numerous quotes and allusions from Matthew 26 and 27 that tie back to the Book of Lamentations. From the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus is in the garden in in Matthew 26, verse 38. Uh, Then he said to them, "'My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow "'to the point of death. "'Stay here and keep watch with me.'" Lamentations 3, verse 20 says, "'I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me.'" To right before the crucifixion, Matthew 27, verse 30 says, and they took uh, and took the reed and struck him on the head. Lamentations 3.30 says, let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace. To the crucifixion, Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lamentations three two through three, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. And there are more lamentations uh, parallels that we could go to, but for sake of time, I'm not going to get into all that. And and I already alluded earlier to to Jesus going down into death um, being the same thing as the people going into exile, but this time. He does it for us. And just like Ezekiel was supposed to prophesy and and have the breath of himself actually come out, that the breath of God, the spirit of God actually comes and fills these dry bones. And Jesus is raised from the dead by the spirit of God. And finally, we're back to where we began. The end of the Jewish Old Testament. It has Cyrus decreeing that he had all power and all authority and that he was sending them out to go build a temple. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing. Go out and make disciples. I will build my temple, living stone upon living stone. And there it is. Matthew's done it. He's he's summarized the entire Old Testament into one book and made Jesus the hero. Jesus is greater than everything that came before him. Okay, like, that, that's awesome. That's cool that, that that he shows that. But like, what does that actually mean? Like, why should I care that he's actually given this whole, um, this overlay of, of Matthew and the Old Testament together as one thing? Why why should I care that this is important in any way? Um, I would say there's at least three reasons. One, they should always want to know what the writer was doing and what he intended for his reader. Um, if we don't understand what he's doing and what he wanted us to see we'll be apt to read his work wrong um make it kind of mean the things that we want it to mean or make it mean things that that our western mind thinks that it's saying um but if we if we want to to read it appropriately we'll read it with um a a jewish mindset we'll read it with with the jewish um overlay that was intended so so see if if we don't read things um that and understand it in the way that it was meant for its original hearers um then we have a harder time understanding what it's supposed to mean to us. We want to know what it meant to them, so that way we can know what it's supposed to mean to us. So the second thing that I would say would be important is that Matthew, you know, the tax collector who left everything behind to follow Jesus, he wants us to see that Jesus is greater than everything and everyone ever. He wants us to follow him with everything that we have, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And to dwell on his word day and night, to search out the riches of his word, because it's packed to the brim with insights of who he is and how he works and functions in this world. And the third thing I would say that would be important is that Matthew wants us to see that if he is for us, who can be against us? He's greater than everything. So give him everything that you have in your daily going out. Heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers if we run across lepers. Bring life wherever you go. Be holy as he is holy. Bring life as he is life and make disciples. Go out and be him. Be Christ to the world. Amen.